Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. I'll get it together. <laughs> this, is, this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild, and we just had our white elephant party last night. So, I didn't drink too much because I got to squat heavy today, but... <laughs> Did you get a white elephant? I did. What did we get? Uh, oh, we got throwing knives. It was badass. Yeah, we got oh, a that's throwing like, knives. Yeah. yeah. I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, it's Dr. Mike Nelson, uh, creator of the Flex Diet Cert and the Physiologic Flexibility Cert, associate professor at the Kerrigan Institute. And we have Heather McDonald. Heather, say a few things about yourself. Hey, I'm Heather. I'm a Highland Games athlete, a strong woman, and I train out of Unbroken Strength in Phoenix, Arizona. Sweet. Sweet. I competed there several times when I lived there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep. My first 700-pound deadlift was in that gym, I think. Oh, here. uh, Well, we're new, so you might be thinking of... No, I'm thinking of where you used to train. Die Hard. Uh, Die Hard, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I was there for a long time. Yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, um, you got some news for us? Yeah, I just have one piece of news. Um, yeah, and anybody can chime in on this. Strength and Muscle Sport News. This is this might bore uh, you youngins, but as I get older, I'm interested in this kind of stuff. Uh, it's about diet and aging, um, but it's a, it's a brand new paper here. Mediterranean diet and telomere length. It's a systematic review and meta-analysis, and... We've been kind of rolling our eyes about this lately, but in 2020, like very few new studies seem to be coming out or at least fewer. And it's always like, let's do a review of what's already out there, right? Because how else do you publish anything in a year where you can't approach a research subject? Um, But anyway, so this just starts off by saying, oh, let me back up. This is uh, Sylvia Canudis and a colleague, Advances in Nutrition. Um, Anyway. Accelerated telomere shortening has been associated with several age-related diseases uh, and or decreased lifespan in humans. The Mediterranean diet is considered to be one of the most recognized diets for disease prevention and healthy aging um, because, of course, it's got all those you know anti-inflammatory and antioxidant kinds of uh, you know uh, phytonutrients, and it's rich in seafood and veg, and I mean. The Mediterranean diet, of course, uh, listeners, if you're not familiar, their food guide has an entire food group that's just olive oil. There are so many good things about olive oil, I don't even want to 
go off on a tangent, but uh, lots and lots of olives, olive oil kind of thing. Anyway, uh, two reviewers that worked independently, they screened uh, a lot of uh, titles, uh, look at abstracts. Uh, they tried to include both cross-sectional and randomized clinical trials, but there weren't many RCTs as far as uh, the Mediterranean diet and telomere length specifically. Um, so listeners, if you're unfamiliar, so the whole idea of telomeres is just sort of, you could think like end caps on your DNA and they shorten as you age. So things that will slow the shortening are, it's a nice marker of, you know, biological aging. So this, they're looking whether or not the Mediterranean diet will slow this. Anyway, a total of eight cross-sectional studies were included from five different countries. And I haven't dug real deep into this. So I don't know if this is the five countries are all Mediterranean, you know, is it Greece, Italy, Spain, et cetera? Uh, or are these other countries that are just following you know, these diet principles. But in any case, they said only one prospective cohort study and one RCT were identified, so they couldn't do a meta-analysis of those. But at least uh, as far as the observational studies, it says the present meta-analysis of cross-sectional studies demonstrates that the higher uh, adherence to a Mediterranean diet is associated with longer telomeres. So... Interesting stuff. If you can just switch up the kind of fats in your diet, you know, more fruits, vegetables, um, non-processed seafood, stuff like that, um, maybe you will, in fact, age more slowly. I know we've seen stuff with uh, strength training and some of the biomarkers of aging, like muscle weakness, of course, slowed by a factor I've read of up to four just because you're training. You know, you're not just letting age ravage you kind of thing. So. I thought this was interesting. Maybe it's a, just a call to remember to you know use olive oil, eat your fruits and vegetables, uh, seafood, stuff like that. The things we kind of already know, but it's just interesting that they're directly linking it to this unique marker of uh, of aging. So, Very cool. Just thought it was neat. That's pretty much all I've got. Fun stuff. So we will get right in here with Heather. Heather, so kind of how we start this is uh, go back to your roots. So what got you started in anything strength and training related? Oh, wow. Um, so I I think like a lot of the, I guess, elite women um, in Highland Games, I started out as a track athlete. Mm -hmm. So I competed at Cal State Fullerton. Um, I was a hammer thrower. I did all the throws, but I eventually ended up specializing in hammer throw. Um, and I think it was 2006-ish. Yeah, 2006. Um, a teammate of mine that had already, um, you know, used up his eligibility, started doing Highland Games. Because, you know, for, for track athletes, specifically if you're a thrower, there's not really much of an outlet for you after college. Unless you're, you know, Olympic bound, which is, you know, probably 1% of the population. So, um, you know, if you're in another sport, you can kind of do adult leagues or, you know, go off and do something else. But track athletes don't have a lot for them. So my friend uh, started doing Highland Games and he found this little tiny game i think it was called the black sheep open in oxnard california so like a little tiny town and uh he's like i'm gonna do this competition i think you're gonna really like it um and i did i ended up going and you know like many highland games athletes and i'm sure you know uh, phil would agree really what drew me was the camaraderie of the people there because everyone was so welcoming and just you know wanted to help you whereas i came from a track background where it was very kind of isolated and you're you know, sort of encouraged that, you know, don't talk to that competitor. Don't talk to your other competitor. 
Um, which is lame, right? Because like, yeah. why would I not talk to the people I'm on the field with all day? Like, that's fucking dumb. So, um, I didn't ask if I can use profanity. Is that okay? Yeah, you're good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Should have sort of known that, but I just wanted to make sure. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I went and did that little game, and um, I was just kind of hooked. And so I started training with that same teammate. And you know, it it's funny because you hear you know people talk about when you first kind of fall in love with something you become sort of obsessed and I think I was because we would drive from um I would drive from Los Angeles County to San Diego County but I would go to Orange County to pick up my friend so if you're familiar with Southern California that's that's quite a distance Mm -hmm. um so I would go down with him and we would train in San Diego um once a week sometimes twice a week and just train and train and train and just try to get in as many reps and as many throws as we could um and of course we had a little bit of a athletic base and we were still pretty young so you know it was successful for us and we were lucky to kind of meet people and you know start a practice group and we had a practice group in orange county and then started doing more and more games and it just kind of grew from there and you know that was like i said 2006 7 and it's this year will be my 15th year which kind of blows my mind i don't know what happens all the time um But man, it's been such a, such a cool experience. And I think it's, you know, it's really taught me a lot about people. It's taught me a lot about how to compete, how to be smart about competing, because I certainly did some dumb shit. And, you know, and then, and also, you know, introducing me to Strongman, which has been, you know, amazing as well. That's been only the last maybe four or five years. So I'm just, I'm really thankful that I've gotten to have this experience and I'm hoping I can keep doing it for as long as possible. What led into the strongman thing? How'd that transition? That was kind of organic, I guess. I mean, there's a lot of crossover, I feel like. Um, And I'm sure you see this, too. And, you know, in powerlifting, you probably see a lot of powerlifters that dabble in strongman and strongman that dabble in powerlifting. Um, You know, there's some similarities, obviously, with just base strength. Um, But I had sort of seen other women, you know, some of the other pro women who had done strongman competitions and I waited a long time. (laughs) I was kind of scared of it for a long time. I thought, oh, I'm not not strong enough to do that, which, which is crazy, right? Because we're, you know, we're throwing, you know, you know, 95 pound cabers and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But I still was like, Oh, I don't know. I'm scared of that. Um, which is kind of bonkers, but I eventually, I started watching people like Christy Scott and Daniel Curry. And I thought, man, I want to try that. And I, I talked to some people about it and you know, what's funny is they, they said, you know, it's, Strongman is really hard on your body, and boy, it is. <laughs> Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and they were kind of warning me about the dangers of getting hurt, and I thought, you know what, I better do. I think I started, yeah, if I started four-ish years ago, so right up about 30 or 31, which is kind of late, I think, but I wasn't getting any younger, that's for sure, so I thought I might as well give it a shot and see what I can do. Um, and it's been super, super fun, and honestly, I wouldn't be here at this gym um, with Unbroken and, you know, with my, my friend Julia, champion masters competitor, I wouldn't be here with her if I hadn't started doing strongman. So, you know, just like Highland games, I got the opportunity to meet a ton of people and have a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't have otherwise had if I hadn't have just jumped in and tried it. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, both sports are, are, are crazy fun. I mean, I can tell you, like you talked about the, the Highland games, I still see it above and beyond the rest of them as far as the camaraderie. Oh, and yeah. I don't know if I don't know if part of that is like just from the beginning, like you're shagging weights for each other and stuff like that. Um, so, 
it's uh, but but yeah, I mean, like you talked about, they just kind of feed into one another. So what's the where have you gone then? I mean, the, the sport of Highland Games has changed drastically, especially as far as women go. But I mean, it's changed over the last fifteen years. But from a from a women's perspective, how how has it changed yeah. in fifteen years? It's been pretty crazy. I mean, I, if I think back to that very very first game, and you know, I'm sure a lot of a lot of women can say this, even women who are you know older than me and who are you know. 60 and and maybe they you know they didn't start until later in life and they didn't have any competitors with them um and i i definitely understand that you know when i first started i think i was the only woman competing that day at um in oxnard and now you know holy shit it's competitive (laughs) like jesus so we're getting people who are current olympic athletes who are you know olympic weightlifting champions and you know track stars and just a lot of dual athletes and people from other sports that are just strong as shit. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, like, but it's so cool to see because that just means the caliber of athlete is getting better and, you know, it's getting more competitive and, and that means people are going to care about it more. You know, people are going to really invest their time and energy and, you know, those records are just going to keep going up and up and that's what they're supposed to do. Right. So yeah. it has changed a lot. I mean, there's definitely more more opportunities for us now. I won't say that there's enough. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, there's always tons more opportunities for the um, the male pros than there are the female pros. But I'm pretty thankful that I've been able to go, you know, travel to different countries and you know, well, like I said, meet people. Even the title of a female pro is fairly new, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so. it's it's so unfortunate because you know COVID really kind of stunted that a little bit. I think. Yeah. The last two years, really, I would say, and I, I think my peers would agree, um, there's been a, a lot more, you know, prior to COVID, of course, there's been a lot more opportunities. Um, there's been a lot of athletic directors that have stepped up and said, hey, you know, we're going to make the, the money that we give out equal for the men and the women, or we're going to have, you know, a women's class that's going to hand out prizes like, you know, fill you yourself with yeah. what we're doing. Um, so, you know, we're pretty happy about that before when I first started course i wasn't a pro when i first started because there there wasn't really the the distinction right and i still yeah. think it's not a hundred percent the distinction but man we have so many more opportunities for you know making the same kind of money that the men are making yeah and then you're i mean you're seeing a honestly women in in all strength sports has just mm-hmm. exploded i mean in the powerlifting thing we've talked about it numerous times like let's say that meet i did where i deadlifted my first 700 pounds at diehard gym there was literally one woman yeah <laughs> in the whole meet mm. you know and that was weird and now you go to a meet and there'll be a day of females like yeah. oh, this saturday is women you know <laughs> and there's a hundred of them so just that's amazing um and stuff like that so basically did you did you compete uh how'd you make it to uh, obviously you competed and and lifted and you did something before college um what um, got you into not that side really, of it. like the training so the training part you know I threw but as a track athlete in college we didn't do a lot of heavy lifting because you know my coach's philosophy was we don't want you to get you know big and bulky and slow right wow, wow. and you know now I, of course I look at that term bulky in a much different way but <laughs> he had a very clear purpose right he didn't yeah. want us he wanted us to be strong and explosive he didn't want us to be he didn't want us to be power lifters he wanted us to be you know quick and dynamic which makes perfect sense so I definitely, 
you know, leaving college, I started training more and thought, okay, now I can really, you know, see what I can do as far as strength level. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know that there's, you have to strike a balance between still staying dynamic and then, you know, just being strong as shit. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely been a, uh, you know, that's a constant struggle or a constant challenge to, to maintain that, you know, when you're trying to compete as a Highland Games athlete and you want to be quick and fast, but you want to also have static strength and pull a huge deadlift that you know, sometimes those two don't don't go together. So you have to kind of find that line in between. Well, and just the Highland Games itself coming from track and field. I mean, it's basically track and field that's heavy. Yeah. You, know, you have to be stronger, um, yeah. especially you start getting into the heavy weights and things like that. So, um, oh, yeah. but I think you were in that class. And that's what I like when I started Highland Games, my first games was Phoenix. And you'd see one or two X track athletes and they'd come out and just dominate. And now mm-hmm. there's a lot of it. You know, you're it, you like you said they found it as their outlet after college. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's amazing to see all the people come up. I mean, I think the first women's it was in Phoenix. It was in Adrian Blewett was in her yep. prime and crushing everybody. So <laughs> I remember going that they threw in the rain and everybody's like, oh, there's gonna be no world records today, and she broke like five world records in the rain. Uh, oh yeah. I think yeah. That was, so. it. I think that was one of my first <laughs> world competitions. <laughs> I thought, like, oh, man, this is this is how it's going to be. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, of course, that's, you know, that's an anomaly. And, yeah. uh, man, I've had, you know, one year at the Arnold. I think it was the first – I think it was the only year I went to the Arnold, actually, was in the snow. It was the first year that they yeah. had the women at the Arnold. Um, and I just thought, like, oh, my gosh, I get to go to the Arnold. Like, I don't care if we throw naked. Like, whatever. <laughs> you know, I'll throw it down. And I, we threw outside, you know, the pro men were on Sunday we were on Saturday and they ended up because of the weather, they ended up moving the whole men's pro class to Sunday, you know, when the better weather was. And then we were on Saturday or maybe vice versa. It doesn't matter. But either way, we threw in the snow and it was, you know, the caver was, it was impossible to use tacky and, you know, it's less than 40 degrees out and it's like physically snowing on us, like snow falling from, from the air, (laughs) like trying to throw the caver. It was quite an experience but I, I wouldn't trade it for the world so balance now then between uh the sports how do you strike a balance between the strongman and the, the highland games that's interesting because i had to learn a very hard lesson especially with like recent injuries in the last couple of years that it is very difficult to do both and i mean certainly there's people who have done both and you know been successful both kristen rhodes is one one example i can think of off the top of my head um, you know, uh, world's strongest woman multiple times and just, just a out of control, amazing athlete, but it's, it's tough, man. Cause like I said, beyond just trying to balance your body composition and trying to stay strong for one and statically strong and being dynamic and, and fast and be able to, and mobile. Um, you know, I, I use the example of a lot of times I see strongmen come out for Highland Games their first time and you know there's kind of the attitude of like oh I could do this because I'll be I'm strong I can do it and you know they do well at the weight for height they do well at the caber the brain mark which is a little more static but then we get to the hammer or we get to (laughs) the weight for distance and it they get humbled right Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess it's just about trying to take care of your body I mean it's it's just like any other you know if you're you know trying to do two sports at once you have to think about like what you're purposes are for each sport you know you can't just say oh i'm gonna go out there and win well what do you have to do to prepare to do that right yeah 
I definitely had have had to again this is all outside of COVID COVID circumstances but I've definitely had to reduce the number of games that I went to if I wanted to also compete in strongman and I remember having a conversation with my coach about you know I was doing both and I was so pumped to just be learning something new that I told my coach well and my coach is um James Bullock out of uh, Joplin Missouri actually okay. and um I told them, you know, maybe I'll do a powerlifting meet, you know, maybe like a push pull or something. You cannot do all the things. <laughs> yeah. You can't do all three. Is, I'm like, all right, fine. Is there one, like, uh, a conversation I had years ago? Oh, God, it's probably been 10 years ago now. So I was, I was doing what you're talking about. Basically, I had started Highland Games. I made it. They forced me to start in B class. And two classes late, two games later, they forced me to A class. So it's like, hey, man, I'm going to go pro. So I'm trying to go pro, and I'm trying to deadlift 800 pounds raw beltless. And <laughs> Dan John calls me, and basically he said, uh, Phil, there's lots of people that are really bad pros, you know, subpar pros, but there aren't many people that have ever deadlifted 800 raw. He said, you need to concentrate on one. Yeah. Uh, so basically, it was that point. Like, it's not that I don't do Highland Games, but it's my oh. fun sport. Do you have one? Like, it's one more serious to you. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's that's hard. That's a hard thing. To <laughs> I know. Yeah, it is. It's so hard. And and you know, like I said, COVID has kind of you know forced me and and certainly a lot of us to kind of take a step back and reassess that. Um, and what's interesting with that is you know, and, you know, I didn't intend to talk about COVID, but really it's, you know, it's kind of a theme, but what it's made me also think about is for Highland Games and the future of Highland Games, because a lot of those games are associated with festivals right now, like this last year, your, yours included, your competition included, I had 10 competitions canceled. So that's the whole year, you know? So, you know, it was sort of a bittersweet because I, you know, the silver lining of it was that I had to have knee surgery anyway. So I thought, well, shit, I might as well take this time to heal up but at the same time i did notice that the kind of cool thing right now about um strongman competitions is that because they're not attached to festivals mm-hmm. with thousands of people in attendance it's a little bit easier to still maintain some level of competition i mean certainly you can't do your you know your nationals or your um, original strongman games or the arnold obviously but you know it's still people are, are having an easier time i think in the strongman community continuing training and maintaining a base level of training than for the games where, I mean, you can go out and throw on your own. Like I'm supposed to go later on today, you know, help a guy with a sheath. But beyond that, there's not really much we can do right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Cause I mean, a lot of the games, unlike you said, strongman competitions, like even powerlifting competitions, like you can throw yeah. one. Most of them are at a local gym. And if there's no crowd, whatever. Cause it's usually just like family and friends anyways. Mm-hmm. But those games, like, I don't know, the, the big ones, Pleasanton and things like that. Yeah. Like they literally can't run. They require forty thousand people to show up to pay for it. You know? yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes that tough. Um, yeah, I think we can. Uh, you want to go to commercial break and then we'll get into the topic. You know, if I can ask Heather, I just have one question for you guys, and I'm sure we've talked about this ages in the past. But can you compare turning pro in your two main sports? Like, if somebody, I, I love the theme about actually staying intensely serious with uh, your sport after college, right? Like as a grown up. Uh, but turning pro, you guys are talking about that quite a bit. Is there a big difference? Like how do you turn turn pro in one versus the other? If, you know, people are, 
sort of in your state maybe five or ten years ago, Heather, right? Like they're like they're getting into this and can I be a pro? I mean, how does that whole thing work? Yeah, so that's man, that's such a good question. And and for I would say for Highland Games it's a little more nebulous than for Strongman. Strongman there's a little more clear cut. And I, I will say I am not a pro in Strongman in any way, shape or form. Um so for for I'll start with Strongman since it's easier. Strongman, you can go to specific shows that you can qualify for the Arnold. At the Arnold, you get your pro card. And that, you know, that changes. There's some variables with that depending on the federation that you compete in. You have essentially two main federations for uh, for Strongman, Strongman Corporation and um, USF, United States Strongman. So it's a little more clear cut with that. You know, you go to a show knowing, okay, if I win or if I podium, then I get my pro card, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um for Highland Games, we do not have that. <laughs> yeah. It is a little, it's pretty nebulous. So, you know, for the men, you know, I would say for the men, because there's an established kind of etiquette or kind of path for for the dudes, you know, you, like Phil said, you start out in maybe the C's or the B's, and then you move up to an A, you train a while for, as an A, and if you, you know, continue training and you're good enough, you can declare yourself pro. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and but that also requires a little bit of legwork on your part. And I think that's what makes our sport kind of unique in that you have to really prove yourself. So you're almost like pledging to be a pro. Um, so you you go to certain games, you know, with the intent of talking to ADs, making yourself known, getting your face out there. Um, you know, and I realize I'm just kind of speaking for the dudes that have done this, yeah. but um, but I've seen it, you know, it. They, you know, you go to you go to different ads and you try to get invites, really, essentially, and mm-hmm. eventually, you know, and if your marks are good enough, right? It really, if your marks are good enough and you're a world class athlete, but you're a total dick, you're not going to get invitations. Yep. Right? Mm. So, and that's kind of a also very unique to Highland Games, I think. Yeah, and I was just going to add that's a lot, part of that is again back to the festival atmosphere. Yeah, like there are people that aren't the best pros, like they're lower tier pros, but they'll get invited. Because they are a great showman and sportsman. Yeah. Mm. So people love to watch them. Like Chad Aches. He freaking screams and yells. And people love watching a big <laughs> bearded dude run around and do things when he did it. I don't think – I think he's retired now. But uh, Yeah, I haven't seen him compete in a while. Yeah. So – but, I mean, he would get invites for that. You know, he didn't win. But <laughs> but people loved watching that. But uh, Yeah. And that's important, you know, because ultimately, you know, we're, we're a sport. But we're also putting on a show for the crowd. So yes. – you know, the, the athletic directors, they want people that are going to represent the sport well, represent the festival well, and, you know, and just be a good competitor. And part of being a good competitor is, you know, being just being nice. Don't be an asshole. You know, mm-hmm. um, you can do that when you step off the field right at the bar later. But, um, yeah, you know, as far as the, the pro distinction, um, it's it's a lot of work that the guys have to, you know, I, I respect a lot of people that really take the time and put the energy into trying to get invites because, I feel like it, it is a lot of work and, you know, for the women, obviously it's, it's different. Um, for us, I feel like, you know, obviously there is the, you know, the, um, camaraderie part of it and you, you still don't want to be a dick even as a woman, but at the same time, you know, there's just so much fewer of us that really for us, it's more about numbers. So I think I, I would say for most of the women's pro or sometimes they're called women's elite competitions, um, it is invitation based or is it is, you know, based on the, the the individual athletic director, or it's based on rankings. So we have a ranking system, and you know, for for women's worlds, for instance, it's just based on straight rankings. So it's pretty clear, 
um, you know, top 10. If someone can't go, then they go down the list until they fill all the spots. Mm. So I think that's, I like that way personally. I think that's pretty clear cut. Either you do it or you don't, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and if I don't go, I don't go. That's fine, you know, because it should be, world should be the best in the world. So, yeah. Got it. All right. We will do a uh, short commercial break and then we're going to come back. Sweet. Cool. Stop feeling. Some of us don't understand how lucky we are to be living in this. Land. Hi, listeners. This is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rated in your thoughts. Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio-type format, the show is listener-supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or... Click the Donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test, In about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture, similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project.
weekly fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, we are back, Iron Radio listeners. Again, we have Heather McDonald on. And for the topic of the day, um, one of the resounding themes of our show has been kind of a mix between Egghead and Meathead. And uh, so Heather's kind of a good fit. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we're going to talk about, you know, basically you've already talked about your athletic background. You went to college while doing track and field and then doing Highland Games after and this and that. So, but you went to college and became a professor, correct? Yes. Yes. So, um, you know, that's what we're going to talk about is finding that balance between egghead and meathead. Now, uh, during coming up in college and like how, how you balance it now. I mean, you got to essentially you need to train but you also need to do your job so yeah um <laughs> let's start off in college so i mean uh, you know it's it's fairly evident you had to actually you weren't just a uh you're one of those athletes that came out with a degree so um yeah. you weren't there just for college so let's talk about you know how'd you balance actually doing well in school with also doing track and field you know it's it's funny because looking back, I was I was always envious of the people that were you know fully scholarshiped and because I certainly was not I was a walk on so I, I didn't get it which is fine you know yeah. I wasn't wasn't a you know all American or anything like that I you know I did what I came there to do and I was super thankful for the experience um, but I I always liked school I felt like school was kind of an escape from home life and I didn't have to be at home so I could be out all day I was like this is pretty rad so you know I felt like to be, I had to do well and I had to ha maintain a certain grade average to be on the team. So it seemed like kind of a no brainer to me, you know, if you want to keep competing and doing this really rad, fun sport, then, you know, get good grades, you know, but, yeah. you know, looking back, that was really tough, you know, working, you know, 40 hours a week and then, you know, in the mornings and then going to practice and then take, you know, having classes at night. So, you know, working from 5am till 10pm, you know, you're doing some kind of work, whether it's mental, mental or physical work. Um, and you know, looking back now, now I'm like, okay, I worked for four hours in the morning and I'm, I think I'm done. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's do all the things. I certainly don't have the energy for that anymore, but, um, yeah, it's definitely a balance, but I think that, you know, having both of those, and I'm so glad you framed it that way of the, you know, the egghead and the meathead, because I found that I for instance, I was an English major. I was the only English major out of all of the, maybe we had, I don't know, 350, between 350 and 500, maybe roughly athletes at Cal State Fullerton. And I think I was the only English major. So I definitely felt <laughs> a little uh -huh. weird because, um, you know, most of my peers were either kinesiology majors mm -hmm. or, you know, sports psych or something, something that also related to athletics. And, you know, I would finish practice and I'm like, hey, guys, I'm going to go learn about poetry. Like, I'll see you later. So, you know, it's kind of weird because I'm on that, you know, different side of the brain, I guess. Um, but it is definitely a balance. Like now I think about it more in terms of the body in the sense of, you know, sometimes I'll sit for six hours, which I know is terrible for you. But, 
I'll sit for six hours and grade papers and then, you know, I'll try and go train and my body's like, bitch, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) You can't just go from sitting, you know, in this awful, horrible, like I'm sitting now, um, in this like slouched position and then go try to, you know, deadlift or go try to press an axle. You know, you have to transition from that. So that's kind of what I've learned getting as a quote unquote aging athlete, I guess, is, you know, that balance is going to just require more attention. You know, you can't just switch off and, you know, get into to training mode. And, you know, here at this gym, we try to tell our members that same thing. Like when you come into the gym, whatever you were doing before, which is probably the 100 percent opposite of what you're doing now, you have to mentally switch into a different mode. You know, don't come in here thinking about your work problems or carrying your work problems, you know, literally or for uh, metaphorically, you have to switch it off, you know, and get into training mode. And that's that's difficult. Sometimes it's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I think where you Lonnie and Mike can probably talk on this better, but I think we're seeing more and more uh, studies and things done on the connections of the two. Uh, the the physical body and training it and, and mental health and especially now with a lack of physical education coming in like primary school K through 12 um, where they've done away with a lot of that and then but if you look at some of the old stuff I mean you look go back in Greek and Roman and it was all about both and uh, even recess time for kids I mean it's there's that time it's needed they need that physical outlet to to even help their brain learn um, mm-hmm. You guys have anything on that, Lonnie? No, I agree. I know I'm putting you on the spot. I mean, oh yeah, uh, but I, I, I'm I sure we've all just taught a study, right? I'm sure we've all seen some things in the past about yeah. When you when you rob that, obviously there's there's changes to blood flow and your metabolism, what's happening in your brain and your body and stuff. And yeah, and there's no doubt that physical types of things in school with budget cuts and everything else are under attack. I mean, think about the whole COVID environment where kids are sitting at home. uh, And, you know, I hear a lot of stuff about, oh, they're going to be set back, you know, half a year if they're doing online learning and, you know, mentally. But I also think about physically, you know, there are certain maturational windows, especially for young kids, like you're saying, like K through 12 types that, I don't know. Can you even really reclaim that? You know, I think about uh, like uh, J.L. Holdsworth talks about some of that, like almost like a food guide pyramid, you know, like you teach basic agility and strength and movement type things, you know, like moving laterally on all fours, you know, stuff like that. Just basic stuff before you can jump into hyper specific stuff like spend all day, you know, shooting three pointers or something like that. Uh, And I think. You know, kids miss that kind of stuff. When they don't get some of those basic things, they're not just physically dysfunctional. I mean, maturational windows, but even um, to Heather's point, as an aging lifter, you know, like where where would you be without that? I mean, Heather, imagine where would you be if there there wasn't a constant resistance training portion of your adult life? Because uh, being a professor will turn you into a, you know, beanbag chair if you're not careful. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I, I hate to compare myself to my colleagues, but I, I do see that, you know, it's, it's, it's not common, right? It's not common to find someone that's a, a strength athlete. It's, it's a niche sport. So, you know, I, I, I go to faculty meetings. I mean, I guess not really lately, but in the past I've gone to faculty meetings and I'm like, okay, you know, I, I don't really find very many other academics who train in this, this sense, you know, and, you know, I, I kind of listen to people talk about, 
you know, oh, I, I have trouble getting up the stairs. I have trouble doing this. I have trouble doing this. And I'm like, oh, man, like, you know, just a little bit of movement will will counteract that. Right. And mm-hmm. You guys know much more about that than I do, obviously. But even like, you know, I, I've had people tell me, oh, that's that stuff that you do is so far beyond what I can do. But really, it's it's not. You know, there's there's just like you said, little things that you can do to make you know, improve your mental capacity by improving your body. And, you know, that's, that's something actually for a uh, girl, which is a, you know, company I'm a representative of um, coming up, I'm doing a program that they're putting on called girl thrive, which is just, you know, basically a, it's a smaller version of girl live, which is a, a seminar that we used to do in person. Um, but my portion of this seminar is talking about uh, the body. So we're doing mind, body, spirit, I'm talking about the body and how we can just thrive in our own bodies. But my focus is, you know, for people who specifically are working from home, which is almost everyone right now, um, and how we can kind of save our bodies from the effects of that. And so I'm kind of putting together, you know, at home workouts that we can do that are just very, very simple that don't require a lot of gym equipment, um, body weight stuff, body weight stretches and body weight movements that you can do from your desk, um, things like that. Because even though, you know, the market's kind of saturated with that stuff right now, I think, you know, people still need that, um, especially women, um, you know, because if we're even myself, I'm like I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm talking about this and I'm still sitting like an idiot. I'm still sitting with my shoulders <laughs> hunched forward and like my neck craned over like a vulture, you know, so I feel like people need to be drilled that that information needs to be drilled into their heads of, you know, keep your body um, as as good as you can have it so that you can perform the tasks you need to do. Um, you know, you can't, like people say, you can't pour from an empty cup. And I certainly understand that because the last month has been super stressful. So I'm kind of trying to take, you know, what I have learned in my experience, because I don't have the, the kinesiology degree. I certainly wish I did. Um, but I do have the experience. So I'm trying to make people know, you know, don't do what I did and don't be, you know, a total mental head case. Um, take care of your body because it'll help your mind too. It's a good point about the stress. I mean, if you don't have some kind of outlet, something heavy to push against, it, the stress will eat you alive, especially during COVID, you know, because there's so many, I, I, you know, working evenings and weekends, recording lectures and doing all this online stuff and uh, trying to control academic honesty and all this stuff. Like, thank God for the barbells. You know, I don't know how people who don't do that, do they just get ulcers? I, I don't know. Yeah, the yeah. thing that I look at, like we got my five-year-old, Odin, and uh, like when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, we're the same thing. You know, he's just five, and I'm almost forty-five, but like <laughs> he literally needs physically, he needs time to just run. And so every afternoon, it's like you're going to the gym, and you're just gonna just. I'm taking the leash off and you just don't stop for three hours, (laughs) you know, and adults are the same, but we just learned to, okay, well, I just, I won't, you know, because that's not what I do. It's not that we don't need it. We just quit doing it, you know, and we're not in a day of age now where it's like, okay, I need to cut wood to keep my house warm. We have, you can, you can live life with no physical outlets now Mm -hmm. easily, you know? So yeah, without even leaving. You're home. <laughs> yeah, you just don't have to go anywhere. Like Amazon, and they'll deliver your food. They'll bring everything. Your toilet paper will just show up at your door. You can literally just sit on the couch. So yeah, and it's it's interesting. You know, uh, you had mentioned the teaching online. So I've I've taught online for 
I've been teaching for 12 years. I guess I'm going into my 13th year and I've taught online for 10. So this has been kind of an interesting moment, you know, with COVID in that, you know, before teaching online was kind of, you know, it's, I mean, it's pretty ubiquitous now, but there was still that stigma of like, oh, you teach online. Like it's not as effective. It's not as legitimate. Um, even though I'm, you know, teaching for university. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's been kind of an interesting shift in seeing like, okay, now my skills are really needed because everything is online. My whole university is switched to online. My whole community college is switched to online. Um, and so it's been this really interesting shift where I have been able to kind of figure out and manage how I need to take care of my body while also teaching online. Because I know, because I've been doing it for a decade, like I said, that I can't sit for six hours and then go train. So I've been able to kind of manage it. Whereas now people who are, have been teaching for 20 years are coming to me and saying, I'm exhausted. How do you do this? You know? Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to tell them you have to move, you have to get up, you have to move around. Um, You know, you have to do something outside of just sitting at the zoom screen and staring at their face, which we were not meant to do. Right. We're not meant to like just stare at someone's eyes forever and ever. It's kind of creepy after a while, but you know, I I feel like it's been a really interesting shift and, you know, both professionally, I guess for, uh, or athletically, I should say rather in, you know, trying to get people or convince people that moving is important and you can't just prioritize your job. You have to prioritize your health because that's your life. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, feeling like, okay, like what I'm doing is not, is not, uh, as stigmatized as it used to be. This is pretty cool to be, <laughs> to have my skills be, you know, needed in this way. So mm-hmm. it's been pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's talk about potentially what's coming up then. Um, with everything that's going on, how's the Highland Games season looking or is it? Oh man. Um, I know it's hard God. to forecast that, but yeah, it really is. I mean, I don't know. I've heard rumblings about the Phoenix games here. Um, they're still kind of, you know, people are gun shy and I, I get it. You know, it's, it's tough because you don't want to put people at risk. And, you know, if you have a festival, you know, like the Phoenix games, that's going to have, you know, 10,000 people over the course of the weekend, you know, and we still have, you know, gathering restrictions, then obviously that's not feasible, but, you know, I, I'm hoping that, some of the early season games will be pushed back to like late spring instead of early spring. You know, um, we're, we're very lucky here in, in the Southwest and that we have great weather. So we do have a lot of early season games and I've been very fortunate in that I lived in California and now I live in Arizona. So I've been in two States where we have great weather as far as, you know, competition training. So I've gotten kind of spoiled. Whereas, you know, you guys are in uh, you know, a place where it does snow in, in yeah. Kansas. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I feel like we're especially kind of being brats in the sense that we're, we've had those early season games taken away from us where a lot of people don't get those anyway. It's too, too cold to, to compete, but you know, I, I think eventually we will recover, but I do think the unfortunate side effect is that it's going to affect the bottom line of a lot of the festivals. And when you affect your bottom line, then you affect how much money is paid out to the pros, you know, so I do fear for the, the pro classes, um, you know, but I, I do think that the cool thing about that, then I do think the cool thing about the community is that the community is really pretty good at coming together when they feel like their, their community is in danger. So, you know, and that's, like I said, that's just super unique to, to Highland games, but I would say also to strength sports. Like we, you know, we try to take care of each other and 
you know, I know that if a games was in danger, that the community itself and even the athletes themselves would try to figure out a way to make it happen, mm. you know, safely. Mm-hmm. I think the best, best kind of example of that is that, you know, I had uh, my friend Felicia, who I feel I think she was one of the ones that you had invited to mm-hmm. um, yep. um, the competition yep. well, last year, uh, two years ago, rather, uh, 2019, sorry. Um, you know, we had kind of talked with the, the organization that runs the games in San Diego, and they used to have a pro class that for the men, they stopped having it. Um, you know, we had kind of said, hey, why don't we have a women's elite class? We weren't even calling it pro. We were just calling it women's elite. Um, we want to have a women's elite class and there was just no money. You know, they said there was no money. So there was kind of this idea of, you know, there's, there's no money for it. We can't, you know, we can't do it. It's too soon. This, the, the game's in June and, um, you know, this is probably February and Felicia was told, you know, by the powers that be, there's just not enough time, you know? And of course, you know, when you tell, <laughs> you tell us, <laughs> you know, strength athlete can't do something. Yeah. Well, me, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. so she did a really awesome job in, uh, you know, collecting from the community um, money for the women's elite class and, yeah. you know, raised, I think, like $3,000 or maybe more than that um, and got donations from the community and just said, hey, we want to do this. We're doing the same thing that the pro men do, um, you know, donate and, you know, see what the ladies can do. Um, and we were able to get, a, you know, just a ton of money for us and everybody got paid out every single place. You know, everybody went home with something and, um, I don't remember what the top prize was, but we got some really, really strong girls out yeah. um, and put on a show for the crowd. And I think that was one of my, despite being, I think, injured at the time, I think that was one of the best games that I did. I think just because I was so fucking pumped that yeah. all of these people supported us, you know? So it just kind of goes to the point that, you know, when we're in trouble and we're, when we feel like our, you know, our sport is in danger or our you know ability to do the thing that we love is in danger, then we'll we'll figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I don't. I haven't even heard about the Arnold or anything. What's going on with it? I know there's a date set, but I don't know if it's even going to happen. Yeah. That was a big. I heard May. I think. I think they're yeah. moving it. Pretty. Oh. Moving it to May now. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. that'll help me because I don't have to travel two weekends in a row then. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I got to go down to Texas the weekend after the March date. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be weird. But you guys got anything else to add? No, no, that's that's good stuff. It's yeah. Heather, you're a perfect guest. I mean, the yeah. egghead meathead yeah, thing is it's yeah. it's sort of our mission, and you you exemplify that. Yeah. <laughs> so love it. I, it. I feel like I feel like I've talked a lot, but <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I I feel like I'm in a really unique spot to be able to convey, you know, like you guys were saying, how important it is, you know, for mind and body, right? Yeah. And it, gosh, you know. It, you know, you talk about the idea of the the student athlete and, you know, you can, you can't be an athlete forever. You know, you can kind of, I feel like a lot of people transition from athletics into coaching, right. Which I assume is probably what I will do too, but you know, you can't be an athlete forever, but you can sure as hell be a student forever. You can be a student of your sport forever. So, you know, I feel like it's at some point and I know I'm going to go through this and I'm already sort of experiencing it now, your body is finite, right? Your, your body is yeah. not going to be able to do the things you're not, no, not everybody is Phil. You can't, you can't deadlift <laughs> Um, but you know, I'm not going to be able to press an axle or, you know, or deadlift or do whatever for, you know, for the rest of my life, but I can develop my mind 
Um, but I have to be able to strike that balance in order to be able to do that, you know, and be able to keep everything going for as long as possible. For me, it's about longevity. You know, I might not ever go to a world competition again. I might not, you know, get the PR that I'm shooting for. But if I can keep doing something for as long as possible, then I'm cool. I'm cool with that. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what I tell people all the time. It's And it's not so much about the PR or the win. Mm-hmm. It's just striving for it. That's really yeah. where you have to find your happiness. You know, you're still going for something. You're you're still learning more every day. You're trying to push your body more every day. Whatever it is, and it's yeah. it's less about the win. And like this competition I have coming up, it's just about still doing it. You know, that's where I'm at. It's like I'm still out there. You know, <laughs> I've been doing this so damn long, and uh, I'm just happy to go out there and like I walk away and it's like, ah, I'm still got all my limbs. I'm good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so. It's a win. And, so. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us, Heather. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much. And, uh, we'll do it again. So good luck on the upcoming season, whatever that is. And, uh, thank you. Everybody have a good weekend. Awesome. Yeah. See Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.